best things in Deadwood. I mean, that cast is incredible. Ian McShane takes up a ton of the space, obviously, but like all his scenes with Paula Malcolmson as that uh, show unfolds, incredible. He's great in the sessions, an underrated movie that kind of nobody sees. Yeah, I've loved him in that movie. Yeah. Nominated, I mean, right? Yeah, he was nominated for that. He was nominated uh, in Winter's Bone, which, yeah. which, which that was J-Law's coming out party. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's one thing to see, you know, a bit character who's kind of in everything. This guy is just with great people everywhere he is, you know. And whenever whenever I see him in a movie, I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. Yeah. Four and Billboards. He was in that Four too. Billboards is great, and he's incredible in Eastbound and Down. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yes. I mean... Playing, I guess, the straight man. I guess. As, stra- as straight as the man can get in Eastbound and Down. But yeah. I hope you know that I've been looking forward to this episode of this podcast. Oh, I'm not a moron. I know. Not since not since we decided to have this podcast, but like since May 5th, 2000. Yeah. I have wanted to sit here and just talk to people. Two hours and 20 minutes after this thing started, this movie started, I knew you were looking forward to this. Yep. Okay. All right. So... Hey everybody, it's Cole and Jed back with another episode of Cigarette Burns. Uh, today is basically, I guess, my birthday. I mean, <laughs> this is this is Christmas. Any birthday, any anniversary wrapped up into one because we are going to talk about Gladiator. Yes, we are. This is, uh, I don't even, I, for the people out there, I really can't even describe because my vocabulary is not big enough how much this means to Cole. Yeah. So if you don't hear me too much on this pod, I'm going to try to put in some points in. This is going to be Cole's show. (laughs) (laughs) But before we unleash hell, let's get into some reviews. Sure, sure. The first thing I watched was Unicorn Store. You know, that Brie Larson film with Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was an interesting uh, film. It's not great. It's not not bad. It's definitely worth seeing. Uh, A good first out, you know, effort for her as as a director and I actually had heard that she auditioned for the part but didn't get it, so she bought, like, the rights to the story, and then she was like, I'm going to make the fucking movie myself. <laughs> That's a bold move. <laughs> it's a I total, like that. total bold move. <laughs> um, I give it a, uh, a 5.3. It shows a lot of potential, though, for her as a director. It kind of reminded me, it had that feel of that film Safety Not Guaranteed, that Aubrey Plaza movie. Where, sure, yeah. Yeah, where you're not kind of quite sure like does this happen in our universe like everything looks the same but things are a little off and um it has a has a decent ending great message overall that it shows you from the beginning shows you throughout the movie keeps reminding you about it um but it doesn't get like tiresome at all in my opinion so just decent first ever i look forward to what she's gonna do next so definitely worth watching then yeah and the next film i saw is from 1992 i believe with uh, Nicholas Cage, Dennis Hopper, and <laughs> Laura Flynn Boyle, and JT JT Walsh. Yeah, that's a murderer's row right there. <laughs> well, wait till you hear the title. It's called Red Rock West. Sure. Yep. That and all this film, <laughs> this film opens with Nicholas Cage obviously living out of his car, driving somewhere. We're not sure where yet. So it's a home. Uh, it's a home video. <laughs> it's a home video. <laughs> But we got to have him brushing his teeth outside of his car, shirtless, obviously. Yep. And then what else do you do? But you drop down and do one-handed push-ups on the fucking road. Uh-huh. Not yep. on the side of the road, on the road. And, I mean, the director, I think, was obviously in love with Nicolas Cage, or Nicolas Cage had it in his contract. <laughs> Look, motherfucker, I worked out for this thing. You are going to show me shirtless, and I'm going to do some rocky push-ups here. So enjoy that. 
I so basically the film starts out that way, and I'm thinking this is going to be one gigantic pile of shit. Right. And at the end, <laughs> seven point two. What? I'm not going to seven point two. I'm not lying. There's no. There's no way this movie can be a seven point two, and I've never seen it. It's <laughs> it's it's a neo noir thriller. And it's really well done. Nicolas Cage like holds it together and only explodes when he like absolutely has to. And it's I'm I'm maybe I'm giving it a seven point two because it was such a piece of shit in the beginning. But by the end, I was like, this is actually a good movie. Like I I, I don't mind this. This is a nice neo noir kind of thing. So those are the two films I watched. I know very surprised on that second one. But uh, wow, what about you? So I was only able to get to one thing this week and I'm going to run through it really quickly because I am so fucking excited about the movie we're doing today that I can barely contain myself. So (laughs) I watched the new Childish Gambino flick Guava Island on Amazon Prime. Mm. So it's free out there for anybody with Amazon Prime. I give it a 7 out of 10. Uh, it's a 55 minute, it's, it's really kind of a short, but it's a little longer than a short. It's, okay. it's got a fantastic cast. It's got, uh, Childish Gambino, Donald Glover, obviously Rihanna's in it. Letitia Wright's in it. Uh, they're all great from a casting standpoint. I would say that Letitia Wright and Rihanna, just because the script doesn't give them a ton to do is a little bit of wasted talent. Although as I look on it only had the movie been longer, would I have wanted their parts to be expanded? Uh, the, gotcha. the condensed story that's being told here, which was the story was by Donald Glover. Uh, the script was written by his brother. The, it, the direction was by Hiro Marias, frequent collaborator who's done a ton of Atlanta. He's done, Great I director. think, yeah, I think he's done four or five episodes of Barry. He did the This Is America video. And the movie is about this paradise that has been ruined by capitalism, essentially. And there's a really cool intro to the film that's uh, some really vibrant animation that sort of tells the story of this paradise island that just got taken over by capitalism. And it's a it's a message about how capitalism puts a stranglehold on freedom and how art can be a way to become free. And Donald Glover's character is this guitar player who's kind of quasi-famous on the island who does some radio shows, but everybody ends up working for Red. And so, you know, it's kind of this struggle between capitalism and art and freedom and, uh, you know, keeping people down versus lifting them up and, you know, that sort of struggle. I it's hard to kind of get into details without giving spoilers on a 55 minute. Uh, basically <laughs> it's like shorter than an episode of game of Thrones, but I yeah, really, really, bit. yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I, I definitely worth a watch. Childish Gambino is one of those guys that, you know, he's going to do something. I'm always interested in it. So if you're a fan yeah. of his, I think you'll be a fan of this. There's a lot of musical interludes that are in it. A lot of his songs are in it. There's a, this is America scene where they're doing that in the factory and i thought it all really really worked so like i said seven out of ten he's almost too talented like it's not fair right yeah i i completely agree and the crazy thing is he doesn't come across as hyper arrogant or anything like that either in interviews or on screen he's so charismatic as is everybody in this movie um i'm totally blanking on the guy's name but the last time i saw him was uh the suitor for Daenerys in karth um who she ends up spoiler alert, oh yes in the i vault. know Locks in the safe, yep. Yeah, Zanos Daxos or something like that. But he, uh, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, he's in it. Uh, it's just everybody in it's great. And check it out, guys. 7 out of 10. You'll love it. But we've already talked about those movies too long. We <laughs> have got to get to it.
will remove your helmet and tell me your name. My name is Gladiator. Father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance. Today I saw a slave become more powerful than the Emperor of Rome. They said you were a giant. I shall cheer for you. At my signal, unleash hell. Am I not merciful? What we do in life echoes in eternity. Oh, that is such a good trailer. I'm so excited. I, I don't really even know if emotionally I'm in a place where I can put my words together intelligently yet after that. But uh, before we get into all the good stuff, we should probably talk a little bit about the background. Yeah, there's a lot of background in this film. This too. has an Apocalypse Now sort of backstory. Really, the, it really um, does. But So this is directed by Ridley Scott. Yeah. And we look at Ridley Scott now and we think, oh my God, this guy's a, a historical director. He's, he's had yeah. a million great films. But Alien, so many good ones over the years. Yeah, and he's also had a diversity of films. Because like you said, he did Alien. Yeah. Uh, he did Blade Runner. But he's also Thelma and Louise. Matchstick Man. Yeah. Personal favorite of mine. Matchstick Man's really good. And and that, to me, was when he was in his, uh, you know, I'm going to copy whatever Steven Spielberg does phase, <laughs> which is not a bad phase to have. No. But, uh, you know, Black Hawk Down on the uh, end of Saving Private Ryan, Matchstick Man on the end of Catch Me If You Can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very similarly styled movies. Even the title sequences, particularly in Matchstick Man. Yes. Yes, that is a good point. But with all Ridley, Ridley Scott stank was on it. You know what I mean? Like, he puts his own finishing touches. So, at this point, though, I mean, this is 2000. So, they're filming this in 99. And he's coming off kind of a, a slowish eight or nine years since Thelma and Louise. Not a lot. Uh, I guess the biggest film that he had done at that point, uh, era in that stretch, was G.I. Jane, maybe? Which, yeah, which didn't really work. It, it Perfectly okay movie. Vigo, yeah. Demi Moore... Um, but you're right, it just it didn't quite come together as the complete package. But uh, what he found, and what we all really found in this film, was the greatness of Russell Crowe. Now, you didn't find it in this film, right? You no. had already known about it. Yeah, no, I've been, I had been on the Russell Crowe train for a while. I'm still on that train. I think we owe it to the people to just give a little, where did you discover R.C., as we're going to call him throughout the podcast, right. I'm sure? Right, yep. Where did you discover? Where did this love come from? <laughs> I want to be very clear for everybody. It's not just a professional love; it's a passionate love. It is. It is. Jesse, it's a little weird. Jesse but... <laughs> is aware. She's made her Cole, peace with it. Everyone you've talked to is aware. <laughs> She's made a peace with it. Is okay. People that pick up tennis know about this <laughs> shit. Okay, it's not a secret. But I, it's not weird. Okay, like I can, you I can, say hold, so. I can hold it together. Uh huh. But I, uh, like most, I would say American audiences probably discovered him with L.A. Confidential. I'm so good in that movie. Yeah, it was really funny because I think that you know a lot of stories were told about these great new American actors who were in L.A. Confidential that Curtis yeah. Hansen just found, and turns out you know neither one of them. <laughs> are, are American so uh, I, I was really keyed in on Bud White in that film because it was it was so controlled 
and you kind of think of these cops, even though he's a brutal kind of guy in that film, he was so controlled. And then the stories go like, you know, you start looking up who it is. It's Russell Crowe and he's talking about his process and he's he's like, I was told to be big. So I lived in a small apartment. I got a small room because I was supposed to feel big everywhere. And, you know, I didn't drink because the director told me I, I wasn't supposed to drink. And he's like, he, he even talks about having this conversation with Curtis Hansen. Like, give me a break. This guy doesn't go out for beers like with the guys afterwards. And Hansen's like, no. So he's like. One of the hardest things I ever had to do, not drink. No Fosters, huh? No Yeah, no Fosters. <laughs> so, you know, I, I saw him in LA Confidential, and I immediately started looking up, like, what has this guy done? What what has he been involved in? Because I can't believe I haven't seen him. And I think his technical introduction to American audiences was uh, The Quick and the Dead. Yeah, I remember that film. Sam Raimi, right? Sam Raimi. Sharon Stone, Leo. Leo in, <laughs> boy, probably Leo's worst performance ever. That was not a good performance at all. No. He's not believable for one fucking second. For being, he's not a hard cowboy. Let's just put it that way. Leo's not hard to begin with. That's a whole other discussion. We'll <laughs> get into is, that one yeah. day. We're not going to, we can't waste time on Leo. No. Um, but a great, great actor, a great talent. Yes. But just terribly miscast in A Quick and the Dead. But that was Sharon Stone's passion project. She wanted to put it together with Sam Raimi and she handpicked Russell Crowe. Oh. Because she's fucking brilliant, and yeah. she knows what greatness is, mm-hmm. and she called him the sexiest man in Hollywood. I think we know where I stand on that. I'll <laughs> let you all decide that on your own. Where does Meg Ryan stand on that? Sexiest man in Hollywood? Uh, I mean, I think she's probably, she probably cast a vote for RC on that. Yeah, I think so. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so that, that film was really interesting, and I encourage a bunch of people to go out and see that if you haven't seen it. It's fun. It's just, it's sort of a spaghetti western, Gene Hackman's Gene in Hackman it. Gene Hackman is... He's always unbelievable, yeah, but especially it, in that film. It's got really cool performances, and it's really interestingly shot in that Sam Raimi style. But uh, So Russell Crowe was in that, and then I, I found out that he was actually a fairly famous Australian actor, and he was in this film Romper Stomper. Uh-huh. And it took me a while to get my hands on that film, because it, you know at, at this point, you couldn't stream it anywhere. I mean, streaming wasn't really even a thing. So I locate the DVD on a very slow, like, you know, 28K modem. <laughs> Uh, connection on eBay, and I get it, and it's it's incredible. Yeah, already showing the dedication. Yeah, he he plays a neo Nazi in Australia who runs sort of this smallish gang of of skinheads, and it's about basically this group of crazy lunatic uh, skinheads roaming the streets and trying to clean the streets, and you know about one character that's not Russell Crowe who is the leader that's you know trying to get out of it and the, the girl who gets in between them and he's menacing he's terrifying but he's incredible it's kind of like a harder version of american history x in some ways yeah it, you can definitely see and I, I have no proof of this but you know you can see edward norton's performance informed by uh, romper stomper even even if he didn't see it like there's a lot of similarities there but it's just a, it's a much scarier much more in your face version of that film that's a that's a really good time i think virtuosity might be the first time i remember russell crowe yeah uh in a film and that was a weird fucking movie that was a weird movie i that was <laughs> the best part about that movie is that's in that hackers virtuosity yeah. what sneakers sort of I, I don't think hollywood understood how the internet works. oh because they do now <laughs> i'm sorry hacking do, is just something that <laughs> do, do we need to take just a quick step out no we don't we don't need to get into that you know no, get the software I, developers I take need... on I don't need to go off on that tangent. Are you telling Are you telling me that the uh, the IT background is not necessary for the Gladiator episode? It's not necessary at all. There's all right. no hitting of the escape key in this episode, and then all of a sudden, well, and you got full access. <laughs> forget, forget. Get that. You gotta get rid of that escape key, guys. Well, you got you got to hack the mainframe. Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> Moving on, something else. So that that kind of was his 
I mean, this incredible run of films where he still wasn't really known until I would say LA Confidential. I, I think, agree with I you. I think I'm yeah. confident. He, in was he that. nominated for that one? I know Kim Basinger won. No, he was not nominated. He was not for nominated. That. It was Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce was not now. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I can't remember right now. But I, I know Kim Basinger won for that one. Well deserved. She did a yeah, great job. Yeah, and Curtis Hansen brought Lana back. Turner is who she played in that. Basically, I mean, basically yes. she was yes. the yeah the other version of that. Right. Um. Yeah, that was a good movie. Well, I need to rewatch that movie because it's, it's so great. Good. And Curtis Hansen sort of reintroduced the noir. Like the noir had yeah. gone away. Yeah. And it came back with this. And I'm gonna because I'm gonna credit Russell Crowe with everything I can. I'm also going to credit him with bringing back the Sword and Sandals epic, which had disappeared. It really had. And None of these movies around the time The Gladiator was released, or even a few years prior, were anything like this. No, and I think it goes without saying that a lot of the great films that we talk about, they almost always start with this, it's not going to work backstory. Mm-hmm. The Godfather, there's no way that's going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, TV shows like The West Wing, there's no way that's going to work. Apocalypse Now, as you said earlier. Can't make it. Can't get it together. We got mm-hmm. storms and heart attacks and all kinds of crazy shit going on. And Gladiator was kind of the same way, where don't have a finished script. We've got uh, location issues. They had no they, idea how to open the film. Like they they, the, what the opening scene was going to be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the whole, the whole sort of uh, process with which the movie came together... I think spawned a lot of creative decisions that were made on the spot that ended up working. They really and they could have gone the other route. Yeah, oh, always. But they all worked as always. Yeah, I mean, this movie is captivating from the opening scene. They establish Russell Crowe's character Maximus as this complete fucking badass. Yeah, and to Russell Crowe's credit, you fucking believe him from the first second. There's other actors, very few actors that can pull that off, honestly. Yeah. Like. You- it's, it's amazing. Well, and he can be this menacing character, but you absolutely understand in every film he's been in why people want to follow him. Yeah. Why people, because you, he, he's got a, he's a trustworthy figure, he, you, he's skilled, you're not, you, you feel comforted by the, the knowledge that he's the one leading you. Yeah. But before we, before we dig into the plot and start walking you through this film, uh, this is the first of five collaborations Ridley Scott has with Russell Crowe. Yeah. And I, in my opinion, they're batting four out of five. They did Gladiator, then they did A Good Year, which is a movie that, again, didn't quite come together. Um, it, it just it couldn't find an audience. The story is a little disjointed, and to me it doesn't quite connect. I probably like it more than most people because if you put Russell Crowe, just a picture of him in front of me for an hour and a half, I'm going to be like, three and a half out of five, I think. You know? I've actually done that, and yeah. so I can attest to that. Yeah, yeah A Good Year was, was okay. I like the clay court tennis scenes. Of course. Um, <laughs> but overall, it was kind of a mess. Right. And, and then they go on to American Gangster, which is, a, I think, a great film. Great, great, great movie. ton of rewatchability in that film. Oh, yeah. Another and Denzel one. going toe-to-toe. Yep. All oh, those scenes are so perfect. Just and two really good actors. We got Shiwatel Ejiofor coming back together with Denzel. Yep. Like you mentioned on another pod, how great their chemistry yep. is. Uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. is great in this. Oh, Josh Common. Common's great. T.I.'s great. Yep. Uh, Josh Brolin. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a bunch of unbelievable performances in a really sort of fun 1970s New York gangster flick. Which I think is forgotten for some it reason. It is. I don't understand why. There, and I've listened to people say that they didn't like it or it didn't work. And I, I mean, besides completely disagreeing with that, I don't see what they're talking about. I don't either. But uh, then they go into Body of Lies, which is another kind of forgotten Ridley Scott film. Is that film. that Leo spy film? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where basically R.C.'s playing Leo's handler. Yeah. And... That movie, again, I think is really captivating. I always struggle, though, with Leo being sort of skilled and hard. There's been a couple of movies um, where I've bought it. One of them is uh, Gangs of New York. 
Yeah. You know, I sort of buy that, but there's a desperation in the character. And when you find a desperation in the character, I think Leo excels, which is what happens in Body of Lies. Yeah. You know, once he gets to that point where he becomes that desperate character, I think that movie starts to really take off. Um, RC started putting on weight in that movie, didn't he? That was one of the... My boy is really <laughs> into the method. And if yeah. it requires him to put on some weight, he'll do that. And then they did Robin Hood, which I'm a sucker for all things Robin Hood. Yeah. I absolutely love that story. Um, you know, Kevin Costner did it. Another, whoa, that's... I don't think this episode can contain no. both of those in there, so you're we're right. going to move on from no, Casey. You're right. But anyway, Robin Hood was a good film. I think it struggled from the title. I really do. Uh, because in that one, he doesn't become Robin Hood until like the end credits. Yeah, and people, so, when they see Robin Hood as the title, they want Robin Hood. Yeah, they want it, what they know. There's an expectation there. And so had it been marketed as an origin story, maybe it would have done a little better. But when you sit down and watch the film, taking yourself out of the idea that you're going to see Robin Hood the whole time, it's a really interesting flick. It's got an early Oscar Isaac in it. Yeah, you he's know. such a good... He's one of those actors to watch. He yep. continues to get... Better and better, although his choice of roles is not the greatest yep. of recent uh, recently. So we'll see what he ends up doing. But, uh, you know, Ridley Scott, after Gladiator, goes on a good little run of those films. Um, remakes a couple of the Aliens. You know, only has a couple of misses. I'd say maybe The Counselor. The Martian was very good. Golden Globe. You know, he, he kind of yeah, got his... Kinda Prometheus got his, I enjoyed. You know, a lot yeah. of people didn't enjoy Prometheus. Uh, and then Alien Covenant, the follow-up, not, not great. Um, just didn't kind of work. Even I, I want Fastbender to get back on this train yeah. of, of making some good films. Uh, hopefully that'll happen. But but really, yeah. Scott, I, I think this really sort of pushed him back into the mainstream. Yeah, and got him on a nice little run of films. It did. Um, another thing that this film had in spades was music, and the score by Hans Zimmer. This is this is not a great score. This is a historic score. Mm-hmm. This is one that will go down. With an Ennio Morricone score, okay. Yeah. This is one that will go down with any John Williams score uh, that's been done. It is incredible, and it, it incorporates Lisa Gerard doing just some vocal work that you know it's there's no words, but her voice is so beautiful yeah. that it, it captivates you. It's it's hard to express. It's an it's an emotional reaction to how beautiful her voice is. It really notches this film up it so does. much because well, it's it's always there. It's ever present, and it gives you credibility. Yeah, you know it it means you know when the people are speaking because of this like low swell of music behind it, you want to listen to them. You 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 trust what's going on, and it makes you a part of the experience somehow. And that's an incredibly difficult thing to do. I know I'm going to sound like a complete loser when I say this, but that's okay. Sure. I will be at work sometimes, and I'm like, I need to finish this stuff. I need some inspiration. I will put this soundtrack on in the background. Got the headphones on, and I don't know. I'm just like, you get the extra fuel. You do. And now you get to power through. It was it was my ringtone for years. <laughs> it was my ringtone for years. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. <laughs> so uh, it also had a great cast. I mean, we, we, we got lucky with, I'd say at that point, some unknowns, but they also matched it with some old guard, reliable, incredible actors. You obviously have RC, who plays Maximus. You had Joaquin Phoenix playing Commodus at this point, and I think going up to this film, Joaquin Phoenix was River Phoenix's brother, and I think after this film, he becomes Joaquin Phoenix. At that point, people start calling him Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, because well, eight millimeter, yeah, and like uh, to die for. That's Nicole about Kidman it. Movie. That's about all I remember him from. Yeah, before this, and you know when he came, his performance is incredible, which we'll definitely get into more here coming up. But it's a can't take your eyes off of it performance, and he's a villain, and he's phenomenal at it. 
Um, Connie Nielsen plays Lucilla, who I think was pretty much unknown. She had a she's been in a bunch of stuff. She's been in a bunch of stuff, but one of those like, oh, I know her from somewhere. Exactly, but you might not know the name. And she's powerful and brilliant. Then they have Oliver Reed and Richard Harris come in as sort of the the old anchors, and their performances are incredible. Richard Harris, one of those never been bad actors. Yep, been around forever. He's the perfect Dumbledore. It was upsetting when he when he passed away. He can no longer play that character because he was perfect in that role. Well, and he he had a gigantic career. I mean, he was he was out there with the Giants. Yeah. In in his day, and then I think sort of softened off there in the eighties and nineties, and then this shot him back. This and uh, uh, Harry Potter. Yeah. Really shot him back up into the the. Zeitgeist a little bit. And he's not even in that much of the film. And no. that's the thing. You remember him because when the film, and we'll get into all the all the details here, but like the beginning of the film and what's going on is very different from what's happening at the end of the film. Yep. But you still remember his character and it's just a powerful performance that he gives. He is, and I mention this a lot because I think it's important when I'm watching films to locate where I'm supposed to get my moral center. Like where's my code for this movie? Because yeah. each film is different. He sets himself at the beginning as our moral center, and so at the end, he's still one of the most important pieces of the film, mm-hmm. even though he hasn't been around for a while. Yeah. You know, it's it's an incredibly powerful performance with not a lot of exaggerated big set pieces that he's working with. And I think that can be said for a lot of the performances in this film. You, There are beautiful visuals in this film. The set pieces are wonderful, exotic locations. These, you got the Colosseum. Yeah, these remarkable battle sequences, things like that. But the quiet moments of this film are the exceptional parts of this film. Yeah, the battle sequences and things like that are great, but these these quiet moments—that's where the cast really comes out. And and I think Ridley Scott's experience with Thelma and Louise really informed this in terms of those moments between the characters. That's what we need here. Yep. That really keeps the audience engaged. Keeps everything moving along very well. And juxtaposed to kind of how these larger Swords and Sandals movies that started being made a little bit more after this, uh, I would say Rome is the best example uh, that came after this. Yeah. Followed uh, the lead of Gladiator in focusing on the characters. Mm -hmm. This is a character-driven film. Rome is a character-driven show. But like Spartacus, which was very popular on Showtime... Was much more of a visual. Oh, experience. that stars, that blood yeah. and sand, yep. kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, same thing with three hundred. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a visual experience. Yeah. Whereas, you know, this is a very heavy hitting emotional film, even though it takes place in this gigantic sort of, you know, ancient Rome glorified era. Mm-hmm. So I, I think with that, do we have any other background we need to get into before I can really get into the meat of this goddamn movie? <laughs> if you guys can see Cole right now, I mean, he's like a kid in a candy store. So, I, without further ado. Take it away. I think we're ready to go. All right. So we're going to start out in war. All right. Like you mentioned before, we've got Russell Crowe commanding an army. As Maximus. As Maximus, Decimus Meridius. (laughs) He is the commander, and he's he's, uh, Richard Harris's right-hand man. Marcus Aurelius is the emperor, and he's been waging war for years, and they're over in Gaul, and they're, they're in Germania, and all these other places, and right now they're at war. And there's this big battle coming up, and it's it's dark and it's grimy, and it's it's clearly right at dawn, and he's just walking through. And you'll notice for a movie that runs over two hours, you know, two hours and fifteen minutes, two hours and twenty minutes, there's not a gigantic script here. There's not a ton of dialogue, and that that's a strength of this film. They don't inundate it with all of this heavy dialogue. It's like the shark in Jaws. Right, exactly. Uh, and this is a big kind of show don't tell situation. 
So he's going through and they have this gigantic battle and it's a beautifully shot sequence mixing in uh, a lot of slow-mo with these beautiful, the, the use of fire in this sequence is great. And it turns out that Ridley Scott was looking for a place to do this and uh, over in Britain, they were like, we're getting rid of this forest. We have to deforest this area. And Ridley Scott's like, how about I just burn it to the ground? <laughs> how about I just take a bunch of fireballs and burn this shit down? I'm going to unleash hell yeah. on this fucking area. And they get into this battle. And one of the great things about this, and, and this kind of goes back to a Steven Spielberg move where there's always a, not always, but in most Steven Spielberg movies, you can get a, a non-important character or somebody with no speaking role or, or something that always trains your eye to a point that keeps your focus or gets you sort of in the human spirit to watch the particular sequence. And in this one, it's the dog following Maximus through the battle. Yeah, yeah. And I think what's important to establish in this sequence is not only how great he is as a warrior, but how great he is as a leader. And that cannot be overstated. And when he's speaking to his troops before battle, you get to see why they love him. Three weeks from now, I will be harvesting my crops. Imagine where you will be, and it will be so. Hold the line. Stay with me. If you find yourself alone, riding in green fields with the sun on your face, do not be troubled, for you are in Elysium, and you're already dead. <laughs> Brothers, what we do in life, Echoes in eternity. So when you see him speak to his troops before battle, you really see how engaged they are with him. I'd fight. I would too. You yeah. can tell. I mean, this is William Wallace level shit yes. right here. Okay? This, this is this is better than this William is, Wallace. That's true. That's true. It's better than William Wallace. But you're right. This is this is one of those speeches that's well written, but so expertly delivered, and the extra work, the extras who are in this scene, are in. Yeah, they're ready to go fight. It's unbelievable. And they're everyone is following Maximus, but they want to. Yes. They, they, he is the true leader of these guys. He's decide, They've decided in that moment, if I die, that's cool. Yeah. It was worth it. Yep. Because I died, and when I get to the afterlife, I'm going to say, I rode with Maximus. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I'm hoping to do. We'll get to that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that speech leads into this incredible battle that we see. And while the battle's going on, we see that Commodus and Lucilla, which is Marcus Aurelius' children, are coming out to the battle to see him. They're not going to fight in the battle. Obviously, Lucilla's not. Uh, Commodus is a little... Um... Well, I would say Commodus is a bitch boy. Okay. Honestly. All right. That's, that's my impression. And when you see, after they get there and uh, Maximus is going to talk to Marcus Aurelius, you can see him look off and you can see uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character, Commodus, is training, but his version of, of training is saying like one, two, three, four. It's like a choreographed dance of him just using the sword to block these things. He knows where they're coming from. He knows these five guys around right, him right. are all attacking him at right. once in sequence. But he's great. Oh, he's he's great at the choreograph. Yep. Right? The choreography is good, but um, he is a complete bitch boy, nothing <laughs> individual, just wants daddy's love, but knows daddy don't love him. See, and, and what's great about the performance of Joaquin Phoenix is he knows that Marcus Aurelius doesn't, like, loves him as a father, loves a kid, but doesn't trust him, doesn't Not want, proud of him. Not proud of him, and so when Commodus gets there, he asks Marcus Aurelius, have I missed the battle? And Marcus Aurelius just looks at him and says, missed the battle, you missed the war. <laughs> Doesn't he say, like, I will slaughter a hundred lambs in your honor? He's like, save the lambs, dog. Like, he, no, he doesn't say save the lambs. He's like, 
save the goats, honor Maximus. Yeah, honor Maximus. And you see, yeah. you see this wash over Commodus's face that oh shit, it's on. Yeah, and that's just a genius piece of performance from Joaquin Phoenix. Yep, right there, you know, you see the dynamic between all three, well, and and, oh. and you get the film at that point. You yep. say. Joaquin Phoenix is going to try and kill Maximus. Mm-hmm. And they don't do it with words. You just see it in his eyes. That's that's where this movie is headed. At some point, we're going to see that scene. And a critical scene here in the beginning is when Marcus Aurelius and Maximus talk after this. Now they've conquered. Like The, the yep. war is like over. They've conquered everyone. Um, and now they have this talk. And Marcus Aurelius is like, I want this place to be a republic again. Yep. I don't, I want the, the era of the Caesars to end. Yes. This is no more for I us. I want it to return to what it was supposed to be at the founding. And all Maximus is like, I just want to go be a farmer again with my yeah. fucking family. I haven't seen my wife in however many years and my kid and, and everything. I don't want to rule. Well, I'm not a ruler. And, and he says, I want you to take the, I want you to take over for me. Because yeah. if I give it to Commodus, I can't trust him. No, he's going to be a tyrant. It's, it's not going to go the way that this, this republic needs to go. Yeah. And he says, I want you to succeed me. And then it, in time, I want the power to go back to the Senate and all these things. Yep. And Maximus is really struggling with it. And then you realize when he's talking to him, like, yeah, I haven't been home in like five years. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, there's this really great performance. And, and I love scenes in films where you have the old guard and kind of the new guard and they're going toe-to-toe, and nobody's outmatching anybody else, and it just sparks are flying. And that's the scene to me in the tent with Marcus Aurelius and Maximus, where Richard Harris is telling him all these bad things about Rome, and, you know, will I be remembered as a tyrant? Will I be remembered as, as great, a philosopher, whatever? And Maximus is getting pissed off. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, we fight for the glory of Rome. I've seen everywhere else in the world, and it's terrible. Rome is the light. Mm-hmm. Rome is the light. And Marcus Aurelius looks at him and goes, how would you know that? You've never been there. Yeah. And Rome's greatest general, and you realize how big Rome is at that point, where he's like, yeah, you're the greatest general, but you've never been to Rome. And this isn't the era of the internet, so it's not like the people <laughs> no, in Rome would know who the fuck Maximus like, looks like. Right. They have just townspeople like, speaking, like giving the news, I'm sure. Some shit like that. I don't remember yeah, the, the details. Yeah, 500 AD, <laughs> they did not have a T1. No, I no get T1. It. No, no 56K. Either. No. <laughs> this is a tech episode for you guys, by the way. Sorry. Apologies for that one. But no, so they, they don't know uh, the whole deal back there, right? right? They don't know the expanse of, of what uh, the Empire has become. And Marcus Aurelius, to his credit, I mean, he really, he's for the good of the of the Empire, yep. the people, and he knows, he knows that Maximus is the only one that can do this job. He doesn't want to turn it over to any of the senators. He's basically once an outsider because everybody else has been poisoned by the system. And so while they're setting up this sort of political drama or this political struggle, you also see some brilliant pieces of camera work in the little party that they have, you know, the, the celebration of the battle afterwards where some senators are talking to Maximus and he's, you know, he's cleaning up and he's sort of playing the game a little bit where he's like, oh, you know, I just, I'm just a soldier, I'm just a soldier, I'm just a soldier. Yeah. But you see these glances between Lucilla and Maximus where you start thinking they had a thing. Yeah, something was going they on. They had there. a thing. Yeah. You know, and... It all isn't really put together in words. It's just these glances and these beautiful, um, these beautiful sequences and set pieces, and the lighting is spectacular. And then we get to the point that we're all kind of worried about because Aurelius is sick. He's getting old. That's why he's talking about succession. And he meets with his son in a heart wrenching scene where he tells Commodus, and and I feel bad. This is how good Joaquin Phoenix is in this scene. I feel terrible for Commodus in the scene because he tells him. You aren't going to be emperor. Mm-hmm. I'm going to turn over power to Maximus. 
and Commodus dies in that moment. The, the soul of Commodus dies in that scene. And is replaced by just fury and rage. Yes. And the he's crying, and he tells his dad, I wrote to you, or you wrote to me, I'm sorry. You wrote something to me, and you listed the four virtues. And I realized as I read that I didn't have any of them. But I have other ones that you didn't value. You know, this can be, you know, my, my ambition... If it's, if it's towards a good thing, is a virtue. You know, all of these things. But then he realizes it's just not enough. What is this enemy you hate so much? All I've ever wanted was to live up to Caesar. Father. Commodus. You are false as a son is my failure as a father. How terrible would you feel if you heard this from your father? I'm not entirely sure I would go on and strangle my dad to death, but I would feel bad. It would not feel good. But Commodus went the strangle route. Yep, he did. He so, went the, I'm gonna kill this motherfucker. Yeah, right? so he chokes out Marcus Aurelius. Yep. And then, and yep. then he goes through and he says, hey, get everybody assembled. We have to see Marcus Aurelius. He's died. I'm the emperor. See, at this point, Aurelius did... The, the thing in every movie where there's a transfer of power didn't mm -hmm. tell anybody else. Didn't write the shit down, didn't nope. do anything. So all anybody knows is that Commodus is going to be obviously be the successor because he's his only son. And Maximus is the only one who thinks some shit went wrong. Somebody murdered him, and mm -hmm. I know it, and I'm going to find out who did it. And Commodus immediately asks Maximus for his loyalty. Yeah. And Maximus turns his back, doesn't give it, and that's how you know this shit is on. It, it is on because now it's like, it's Maximus's word against Commodus, who is the emperor now, and everyone's going to believe him, mm -hmm. even though Maximus is this great general. And Lucilla comes up, and she's sort of being playful with Commodus. Or, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, playful with Maximus. And they're having these really cute little scenes together, uh, talking about their kids... You know, Maximus says, oh, I'm so sorry that your husband had died. I mourned for him. And then you see Maximus telling this beautiful story about his home. You know, it's sort of what he described to Marcus Aurelius about this beautiful farm he has and his wife and his kid. And, you know, I don't necessarily believe that Russell Crowe looks like a Spaniard, but he's apparently Spanish in this film. So Russell Crowe's character of Maximus in this film loosely reminds me of Cal Penn's character in Harold and Kumar Little White Castle. <laughs> No, hear me out on this. Hear me out on this, okay? All he wants to do is go back to his farm, mm -hmm. be with his family, do that. But he's a great fucking military leader. Uh, he, he knows how to fight, all that stuff. All, Cal the, Penn, thing, all the things Cal Penn did. Cal, yeah. Penn, Cal Penn's character of Kumar <laughs> it has a talent for being a doctor. But as he says in the film, just because I'm hung like a moose doesn't mean I got to do porn. <laughs> and that's exactly what's going on here. Just because Maximus is a great military leader doesn't mean that's what he has to do. He wants to farm, raise the family, and that's it. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I no longer feel bad for my Point Break trilogy theory. <laughs> we have a new out there theory. There you go. Love it. Love it. <laughs> so, where were we? Okay, so Maximus wants to go home, but he realizes, oh shit, somebody killed the Emperor. And really watch this sequence for... Russell Crowe's performance, and oh. we got to take we got to take a side uh, a little uh, sidebar here real quick. How great is Russell Crowe's voice in this film? 
It's so powerful every time you hear it. It's captivating beyond belief. And so many of the so many of the lines are delivered in a not just a low register, but they're not loud. There mm-hmm. there are screams. We're gonna get there. It's not whisper acting because there's a lot of depth to it. And, oh my god, it's gravelly and it's tired when it's supposed to be tired. It is incredible. And I think, you know, one of the things that we skipped over in the beginning, real quick, not from a, a film standpoint, but he's coming off of a best actor nomination in the insider. He's yep. a known quantity yep, now. Yeah, he is. And when he did this, I think people were a little surprised, like, oh, you're gonna do this action movie essentially. And it just showed when you have a great actor, he can turn what would normally be an action movie into this extraordinarily deep piece of storytelling. Well, we'll get into it because, I mean, this film won five Oscars. It did. And on the surface, when you watch the trailer or whatever, you're like, this is not what the Academy would like. And it came out in May. Like, this wasn't even something I think the studio was expecting was going to be an Oscar contender. And I'd have to look it up, but five Oscars sounds like it probably won the most Oscars that year. Yeah, I would probably... I would venture to say you're correct on that one. Yeah. <laughs> so Commodus at this point sends out a hit squad to execute Maximus for not being loyal. Yeah. And Maximus turns around and sees all these guys who've been fighting with him. And you can see, you know, the guilt on Quintus's face that he's sort of now Commodus's shit man. Yeah. Basically. His Michael Cohen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he says, I'm really sorry, right out to dawn, execute him, whatever. And then we get out into this beautifully shot, frozen, sort of frosted forest and this hit squad wants to kill Maximus. You can sort of see that they're not crazy about the detail. And a little scared, too, I think. I It looked that way. Yeah, it does. I'm not entirely sure that that's what they were trying to do, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because they look, they're trembling yeah. at the concept that they're the ones who have to kill Maximus. Because like, like, like you said earlier, people don't know who this guy looks like. They don't really know who he is. They probably know his name, but soldiers damn well know who he is. Yeah. And, you know, this is like Scotty executing Michael, you know? Uh, Yeah, would not go well. So they're in the woods, and they're getting ready to execute him. He asks, like, look, um, instead of just cutting my head off, don't you think I've deserved this different type of death um, where you just stick the sword in my back? And they're like, okay, you're right. And so they go to do it, and then Russell Crowe just kicks the shit out and kills everybody with his hands tied. And I love that line where he talks about the frost. Well, let's just hear him say it. Yeah. The frost. Sometimes it makes the blade stick. That's delivered so fucking perfectly. The register of his voice. I mean, I'm uh, I'm in a space right now. <laughs> yeah. We're going to pass over that, though. Yeah. Um, that, that scene, I mean, he continues to show how badass he is. Yep. Russell Crowe, completely believable in that. I'm sure he had to do some training with the swords and all that. And knowing him... He's like, I'm only going to use whatever they had at this time period. Yeah. Well, knowing that when he was doing Quick and the Dead, he did all the gun training. Yeah. So he could do all the tricks and the spins with the gun. I have no doubt. He he dabbled in a little sword play. Yeah. So he ends up getting hurt uh, while he's killing the last guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not a superhero. No. no and not. he instantly runs after his family. He's bleeding from the arm. He takes a horse and he's just sprinting towards Spain. That's a long ride. It's not super close. No. Um, no that's, that's He got a couple horses there yeah, with him. Yeah. And so he's sprinting there and you can see him. He's he's dehydrated. He's not really stopping for food or anything like that. Because he had asked about what will happen to my family and they had yep. said you'll see him in the afterlife. Yeah. And so he's going after him and when he gets to his house it's burned down and he sees a woman and a small child hanging, burned bodies from essentially the entrance to his his home. And he goes up, and this, I'm probably going to say this a couple of times, 
But this is another example of Russell Crowe in this movie who goes long stretches without saying anything. And this is the beginning of one where just the emotion on his face and the look in his eyes tells you everything you need to know and not the best screenwriter in the world could have done better. And it's really remarkable when you consider how long in the movie mm-hmm. he doesn't say anything for. It's 20 plus minutes. And I never actually realized it until you pointed it out to me because it worked so well. Yep. It, and it doesn't slow the film down at all. No. The the action continues to move along. And there's these really great sequences. And I think this is where Ridley Scott's um, sci-fi background kicks in. I'm not saying that this is a science fiction film. But there's a lot of these sort of going between life and the afterlife. And, you know, is he going to come back? And some real whirlwind camera work and CGI work that, in a lesser director's hands, would have looked super campy. And this one, it's just it's fantastic. And it holds up today. It absolutely holds up today. The the sequence where he runs out to his children, or I'm sorry, his child and his wife, and he's crying at their feet, and the snot is coming out of him. I mean, first of all, that's how you win Best Actor. But, <laughs> you know, it, it just destroys you. I mean, you feel so terrible for characters you have not met. Now you, I mean, you cared about him before because yeah. he's very likable. Yes. But now you are all in yep. on this. And you, you grant him carte blanche at this point. Kill anyone you fucking want. Kill them all. Kill everyone in your way. I don't give a shit. And that's the great thing. Get two Commodus. In any great revenge film, once the filmmaker gives carte blanche to the character to kill everyone because the audience is fine with this is taken. He's got a particular set of skills. That's goddamn true. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't fucking matter who he kills. It's all good because of what they did to his child. They ran his kid over with a horse. Yep. And we'll find out a little later what happened to everybody else, but it, it was, I mean... you can see when, when they show the kid and the wife, they think that's Maximus coming back. Yeah. Because so the, they haven't seen anyone in fucking forever, I'm sure, that's yeah, from the Yeah, and the army. kid runs out and just gets pummeled. They yeah. just run him over with the horses. It's shattering. It's brutal. And so Commodus, or Maximus then collapses at his estate. Yeah. Because obviously he's malnourished, he's dehydrated, he's emotionally spent, and his family's been killed. So he just collapses and he wakes up on this slave train, mm-hmm. where he has now been sort of captured. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm sure he was passed out, and he opens his eyes. Now we get a point-of-view shot, and we look up at Jaime Hansu, who's an unbelievable actor in his own right, and I was so excited when I n- learned he was in the film. Because even me going into Gladiator, like I, it wasn't high on my radar. I was working at a movie theater at the time, so that's kind of how I knew it was coming. I was like, oh, this is going to be good. Like, Can't wait to see it. I didn't remember really seeing a bunch of trailers for it, and then when I saw Jimon Hansu, I'm like, oh, shit. I can't wait. This is so good. I've been big on Jimon Hansu since he was the bouncer in one of the early episodes on Beverly Hills 90210. So I, I saw him there. I clocked him, and I was like, this guy's got a future. That that says something about Jimon Hansu, <laughs> but I think that says a hell of a lot more about you. We're going to skip past that one, too. Let's You're skipping past a lot of shit today. Nah, this is your episode, dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about you. <laughs> so Jimon Hansu's there, and he's, he's putting some maggots and some other things on... Uh, Russell Crowe's pretty serious shoulder They'll injury. They'll clean the wound out. Yeah, they're like, it's cool, clean it out. And Russell Crowe says a lot to Jaime Hansu without saying any words. You know, there's a lot of acting with the eyes and the expressions in the face. And Jaime Hansu, for kind of no reason, but he clearly becomes the sweetest character in the film, just is caring for Russell Crowe. He's like, I, I'm now going to take care of you. And you understand it through the performance. You know, I know I'm, I'm beating a dead horse with this, but... Usually in films like this, you don't get great performances top to bottom. And so he gets in this slave train, and then the next thing that you do is you see him um, sort of the training grounds. Yeah. The slave training grounds. 
And because they don't know who he is, they have no idea what they have on their hands. They see the tattoo, which is a, like a soldier's. Yeah, mark. it says SPQR, which means that you were, you know, a Roman uh, in the army. Yep. But they have no idea if he can fight, for how good he is, any of that stuff. Yeah. And another great thing I like about this, this choice, probably on Russell Crowe's part, also probably on Ridley Scott's part, because when you hear the interviews with Russell Crowe and Ridley Scott, it really was a collaboration between them uh, on a lot of these decisions, is you see Russell Crowe for the first time without a shirt, and he's not ripped. No. This is not a cut, jacked, which is absolutely what would happen today. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, there was a really good interview with Josh Hartnett, who was talking about the two the two films he was in uh, that dealt with being in the army, and one was Black Hawk Down with Ridley Scott, and then one was Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor. <laughs> and they ask him, they kind of ask him which one was better, and he doesn't want to say because he's a nice guy, but he's like, well, let's just put it this way: for one of them, I had to have abs, so you can tell what we were concentrating <laughs> on. And so they did not concentrate on that for Gladiator. Yeah, it's more realistic. This yeah, way. so he's in this slave train. And they get to market, and that's where you're introduced to Oliver Reed as yeah. Proximo. I love him in this film. Yeah, it, it's his last film. He actually dies before they finish photography. So there's there's a scene at the end where they kind of have to move the camera because he wasn't there. Wasn't there. But uh, Proximo is amazing in this film. And I think it's also interesting, again, because of all the behind-the-scenes shit, is that Russell Crowe and Oliver Reed didn't really get along. They didn't like each other, which is kind of crazy because their scenes together are electric. Yeah. But, you know, Russell Crowe, after Oliver Reed died, who kind of he kind of drank himself to death. He was a known raging alcoholic and would basically drink all night, show up on set, then just drink. Like, it was just a mess and out of control. And Russell Crowe very plainly was like, look, I mean, I really just don't have time in my life for people like that. So Oliver Reed playing the Marlon Brando role from Apocalypse Now. Yep. That's what we got. We got him playing that guy. Yeah, okay. trying to ruin the movie, not trying to ruin the movie. We're not sure. <laughs> We're not sure, but it, it plays well. It played great. Um, and so Proximo was a former slave who earned his freedom, and he ends up buying Maximus and a, and a few other slaves, including Juba, who's played by Jaime Hansu, uh, and now they are his gladiators. And they go to his training ground where we find Ralph Muller, who's a former Mr. Universe. He looks it. Yes, he does. Uh, but he's really talented. Yeah. A great performance. Not not an Arnold Schwarzenegger performance. No, I mean, he's got some comic re- he's got some comic relief and he stays in his pocket and he does what he's there to do. And because he kind of did that, it's a, a really impactful character. And he's the one who's kind of beating up Maximus because Maximus is there and saying, I'm not gonna fight. Nope. I don't. I'm not fighting. Mm-mm. He throws the sword on the ground, and then he gets beat a few times by uh, Mr. Universe. And then they're like, "Fuck it, he's he's on the red team." Yeah, they're trying to assess him, and they're basically like, "Ah, this guy's worth shit." Right. <laughs> so they put him on the red team, and they they go to their. This is the first gladiator battle. Okay, the and this is in a, a little shit coliseum looking thing that's in like Morocco. This is definitely off Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> We're in the minor leagues of gladiatorial <laughs> sports, okay? So they they come out, and this is our first our first sequence, and you've got guys peeing themselves. You've got <laughs> they're freaked out. Yeah, like the guy that looks like Flea. He's got like spiked <laughs> hair. He's taking a piss, and they go out. And Ralph Mueller, who's uh, Hagen, the big German Mr. Universe guy, is like pumped. Like it's kind of crazy. He's like, I can't wait to get out there. It's gonna be great. <laughs> Kill some fools. And actually, his partner, I love in this scene. My favorite part is his partner. Gets killed and he just cuts his hand off so he, <laughs> so he can swing his hand around as a weapon. The action scenes are expertly directed. They are. They you are could, because there's a lot going on, but you never feel like you don't know where things are happening. Yep. So your perspective is, is, and that's the thing Spielberg does well, and Ridley Scott obviously does an amazing job in this. Where you're like, oh my god, there's shit going on over here, over here, over here, but you keep track of all of it. Sometimes with like a Michael Bay, 
you kind of can get lost because mm-hmm. there's so much action, so many quick cuts. This is really well done. Yeah, and this is the battle sequence where they the slaves see, holy shit, uh, we got something here. Like, this yeah. guy knows what he's doing. And it, it, it was surprising to him because he kind of did that, I guess we'll say roadhouse move, where it's like, I don't want to fight. <laughs> I don't want to fight. I'm gonna uh, be nice. Oh, uh, you fuckers made me. You fuckers made me fight. Now it's time to not be nice. Yeah. So he comes out and he fights, and he's so skilled and so incredible. And him and Juba are tied together, and they kill a bunch of people. There's a trident in the net. Very famous. Uh, yeah. Very famous scene. And so after that, people are like chanting his name. They're going crazy, and he, I think, sees. Okay, this may be something. I don't know what, but this this is now something. Yeah, because I wonder what's going through his head at this point in time. Has yep. he formulated a plan yet? And I think with when they're chanting his name, and when they chant his name, typically all you hear is Spaniard, yeah. Spaniard, Spaniard. That I don't really see how they're knowing that he's a Spaniard. <laughs> We've got a little bit of an Emma Stone in Aloha situation. <laughs> well, he's but, a little tan. He does have a tan. You know, and yeah. he hasn't been saying Australia. Yeah. Or anything like that. Because so. that's what Australians do, right? They just walk around and say Australia. You just finish every sentence with Australia. So that's my experience with Jai Courtney, that's what happens. <laughs> oh man, I'll tell you what, you are the master at the name drop. <laughs> Jai Courtney not in this film. No. Just no. just another Australian person. But RC knows who Jai Courtney is. I'm sure. Put it in water divider. <laughs> he, did. he did. Good film. Good film. Good so film. <laughs> anyway, um they, they start recognizing him as like, oh man, we might have a star on our hands here and and Proximo notices it because Proximo's a businessman. Yep. So Proximo's talking to Maximus like, look, you know, this can be a thing. He wants to get back to the majors. He wants to get back to the majors. He wants to, to go to the Coliseum. So they, he has another uh, gladiatorial sequence, which this one's a little different where they just, he just puts Maximus out. Yeah. And there's like three or four guys out there and Maximus kills all four of them in about 15 seconds and then we get the, the scene that no one will ever forget. Is this not why you are here? Yes, I am entertained. I, I am entertained yes. as well. Uh, this, on my DVD, I don't know that I've ever watched it and not gone back to watch this sequence again. Over and over. That part of the DVD is a little worn out. And, and the best cut in the film is when he cuts the head off and they, they do a quick cut so you see the separation but then you don't see like it's just it's really well done yeah it's uh it's fantastic and so at that point he throws the sword up on the table at proximo yep <laughs> okay he does and so proximo's like look uh the emperor commodus has called us all back for 100 days of games which is really weird because his dad's the one who outlawed us but <laughs> It's yeah. all good. We're now, heading, now we're here. Yeah, we're here to celebrate. We're going back to the show. <laughs> yeah. And so they get back to Rome and they are going through kind of, or Proximo, I should say, is going through how am I going to, you know, what price am I going to get? What's going on? And all of a sudden, we really see Russell Crowe putting it together. Yeah. Proximo had mentioned, like, hey, if you're good enough at this, you could win your freedom. Russell Crowe knows I'm not going to win my freedom because the Emperor's not going to set my ass free. <laughs> he knows who the fuck I am. Yeah. So. I think now at this point we see Maximus understanding I got an opportunity here. Yeah. So they go in for the first big battle in the Colosseum. And I want to step back and talk about the effects real quick. Because obviously they did not build 
a new Colosseum. Uh, if you go to Rome, the Colosseum is a ruin, so it, you can't use that. Yeah. But what he did was he built about a third of a full Colosseum in Morocco, and then they CGI'd in the rest of it. And I think that Russell Crowe did a really interesting thing here is he didn't go for super realism in the CGI. He went for swords and sandal epic visual. Russell Crowe or Ridley Scott? Ridley Scott, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sure Russell Crowe had some input, though. <laughs> I'm going to give Russell Crowe all the credit. Yeah, I, I I'm not it. even sure Ridley Scott directed this I'm film. I'm with you. Was there ever was anyone else in there? Did he play Jaiman Hansu? Yes. <laughs> yeah, we had a Tropic Thunder situation. So he went, and uh, Ridley Scott made the decision to sort of have this softer. It's almost like a. It really is almost like a 300 look. Yeah. Not for the rest of the film, but just looking at Rome, and it, it made it look so imposing. It makes the Colosseum look enormous. A lot of deep blues and purples in the CGI, which set that tone that the sun isn't shining on Rome right now. Okay? Because of Commodus, the sun will not shine on There's this place. There's a dark cloud over Rome. Yes. And that means that Rome is not the light. And Maximus wants to make Rome the light. And now that he's back, he can try and make that happen. So in this first battle, which is, again... Broken record, expertly shot. Some really interesting visuals. You get a person cut in half at the torso. Um, but you see that Russell Crowe is set up and runs all of his gladiators like an army. Yeah, this is very Ben-Hur-esque. It is. Scene yep. this, and this is a nod to Ben-Hur. This yeah. is absolutely a nod to Ben-Hur. The original, the Charlton Heston yes. Ben-Hur, not that remake, which I... Full, full honesty, it was fine. I didn't see. Oh, it was fine. It yeah? was fine. Okay. But it was more in the spirit of... The, the blood and sand Spartacus gotcha. where okay. supercut dudes just doing action sequences not a lot of story there yeah so yeah this is that scene where they have that epic battle but Maximus's crew comes out on top which in reality is not what happened not what right. was supposed to happen because they were reenacting the battle of I can't remember the exact it name. was Carthage they were Carthage re- that's yep. right thank you um and they were not supposed to win that one nope but nope. they did. And they did it in such a spectacular fashion. The crowds are chanting. Everyone's going crazy. And you see Commodus have this sort of bloodlust. Because yeah. when really awful things are happening, he's getting excited. I mean, it's it's disturbing. Which is interesting because, a uh, qu- uh, quick little story here. Joaquin Phoenix, obviously, he played Johnny Cash in Walk the Line. But years before, before there was even an announced Walk the Line or he was ever going to play him, Johnny Cash, I guess, had called Joaquin Phoenix up and said, you want to come by the house? Joaquin Phoenix is like, sure, I'll meet Johnny Cash. And Johnny Cash was such a fan of Gladiator, and particularly Commodus, he was like reciting lines back <laughs> I love that. to Joaquin I Phoenix love that. from the movie. Because he loved how menacing the character was and some of the some of the worst lines and things that he says. It makes me worry about Johnny Cash. I gotta tell you something, though. <laughs> I think that impacted, uh, informed the role that... that um, that Joaquin Phoenix played in Walk the Line because he's like, oh, I can, I understand Johnny Cash a little yeah, more now. Well, and he played it darker. I <laughs> he mean, really did play it yeah. darker. So I think there's a whole connection there, which is really interesting. Just had to throw that in. For no, you. absolutely. I mean, and, and Joaquin Phoenix is best when he's dark. Yeah. And in this one, you know, he sees this gladiator and he loves gladiators. And actually, if you if you look at history, this is not a historical documentary. But if you read up on Commodus, he was some uh, an emperor who fought in the gladiatorial arena. Um, he would do that from time to time. So he was obsessed with the, these, these gladiators and sort of what I would call fake war. Kind of like you mentioned before. A choreographed war I'm fine with. Yeah. Nothing where I want to like get killed or anything. Yeah. So Commodus ends up going down and he wants to meet the gladiators after this battle. Because he's as enamored as anybody in the stadium with who this gladiator is. Yeah. Right? So he goes up and he says... Gladiator, tell me your name. It's so tense. And he turn and, and Maximus turns his back on him, and then he gets pissed. 
and you see him get pissed immediately. And his nephew's there, Lucius, who's an important role. You know, Spencer Tree Clark yeah. does a great job. Um, but he pushes Spencer Tree Clark aside and he says, Hey, you tell me your fucking name. I'm but the he, emperor. But he's not a powerful no. figure at all when he and that's so it speaks to Joaquin Phoenix's ability to act in that role. Yep. He's not powerful. You see him as like a little child who's just throwing a tantrum in a way. Yeah, and what I love about uh Maximus's performance is that he is never in one second is afraid of Commodus. Mm-mm. He never portrays the fear that the rest of the soldiers are, are afraid Commodus is going to have them killed. Maybe not that Commodus is going to do something to them, but the Commodus is going to have them killed or yeah. something. Whereas Russell Crowe's like, I'm not afraid of Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> um, so he says, tell me your name. And then we get this this line, this delivery that I've been wanting to do this for almost 20, well, yeah, almost 20 years now, where I come together as one with Russell Crowe. And I think now is my opportunity. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. Commander of the armies of the North. General of the Felix Legions. Loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius. Father to a murdered son. Husband to a murdered wife. And I will have my vengeance. In this life or the next. Happiest moment of my life. It's well done. I'm going to be honest with you, it's well done. Yeah. Aside from marrying my wife, that's the best thing I've ever done. I can't argue with that. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry if you guys hated it. I can't tell you how much fun I had doing that. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to do any more of it because Russell Crowe is a far better actor than me. But It was a good line read. Yeah, I felt good about that. Yeah. But anyway, because uh, this is such a phenomenal film, occasionally we're going to have to give you guys two-part episodes. So we ran out of time. We are now about halfway through this phenomenal film. I would tell you if you haven't seen it, Check it out so you can uh, be on the full ride with us on on uh, part two. And before we get out of here, Jed, any recommendations? Yeah, um, the original Ben Hur is a must watch film. Everyone needs to see. I would agree with that. Um, for Joaquin Phoenix, I want to say Inherent Vice. I, and the more I watch that, his performance in that movie is so good. I really really enjoyed that a lot. And uh, also for Jaiman Hansu, I like Blood Diamond. I think I'm in kind of the minority there. I'm not sure. But Jaiman Hansu is great in that film. He is great. Leo probably got a little too much credit because that accent's a little off. But Blood Diamond's a great film. Hey, Brew. And, <laughs> and that's a that's a sneaky good performance from Jennifer Connelly in that, too. Yeah, yeah. What about you? You got any recommendations? Yeah, so definitely check out Romper Stomper if you can find it. Um, I guess if you haven't, if you can't find Romper Stomper, because it is a little tougher to find Australian cinema just at the ready, uh, check out LA Confidential or The Insider for Russell Crowe. Obviously. <laughs> and then I would say definitely watch the original Kirk Douglas Spartacus. Um, it is a remarkable film. Stanley Kubrick, right? Yep. Yeah, that is a great film. Everyone should see that one. Well, guys, that does it for part one of Gladiator. Such a great film. that we got to do two episodes on it, so you'll have part two next week. Um, you guys can hit us on Twitter, at SigBurnsPod. Same for Instagram. You guys can email us at CigaretteBurnsPodcast at Yahoo.com. Please write reviews, rate, tell us what movies you want us to review and watch, and we'll, we'll do that for you. We really love the feedback we've been getting, and uh, we look forward to doing more of these and to hearing from more of you guys. So we will hit you with part two of Gladiator coming soon. Later, guys. See you.